Good morning, Times Square Church. I tried to avoid this message. In fact, I had a good message, but sometimes a God message begins to trump that. When you're faced with a good or a God, it's always good to go with God. So I want to begin to walk on some really thin ice today, especially in our culture today. You know, someone once said, the preacher is not a chef, he's a waiter. God doesn't want us to make the meal. He just wants us to deliver it to the table without messing it up. That's all. And so my job today is to deliver what the word of God says, to let God speak. That's why we're going to deal with the Christian and politics and really even ask the question, whose side are you on? And a Christian's role even in politics. Let's pray. Father, may the Holy Spirit begin to guide these next few moments. May the word of God begin to take over any pre-existing ideas, ideology. May we be biblical in all that we do and say today. Let the Holy Spirit speak all over, God, the this, this city, this country, and this world. Father, as we're facing um, one of the great crossroads in this country and in this, this election that we're getting ready to enter into, would you let the word of God now guide us in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when it comes to politics and even Christians, some people are in the weeds with it. Some people kind of get off the ground a little bit. There are even some telling us not even to vote, um, some Christian leaders speaking to that. But I want to do my best today to not be in the weeds and not just get off the ground. I really want to go up to 30,000 feet. I want to take you and give you a high view, really, of what God speaks to this and what Scripture speaks to this. And this is the sermon, this is the message I just can't avoid. Let me tell you a story. I had the privilege um, doing a number of Midwest pastors conferences with Dr. Tony Evans, the great pastor from Dallas, Texas. I was in one of those meetings in the Midwest and Dr. Evans, before I was to do my session, started his message off with a nursery rhyme. It was a nursery rhyme, just bear with me. These were his opening words. Dr. Evans said, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. Okay, you probably thought what I thought. I, as, as Dr. Tony Evans, um, graduate, graduate of one of the great seminaries in the country, spoke this, I just thought, are you serious? This, this is Dr. Tony Evans? For my, it was my first time with him speaking in a conference. But what came next from Dr. Evans was epic. Let me, let me just recount what he said. Dr. Evans said, Mr. Dumpty's world became shattered and he didn't go to his friends and family or even his church to fix him. But Humpty Dumpty went to the White House. In fact, he says, I know that because the king got involved and Congress, because those are the king's men. And that's where Humpty, according to Dr. Evans, looked for his help and restoration. But the tragedy, he said, is that when you got the king and all of his men together, they couldn't fix Humpty Dumpty. In fact, he says it's just as tragic when we as a church think that all of our problems can be fixed by all the king's horses and all the king's men. That's powerful. See, the most important thing we can do to understand that the goal is not to get someone in the White House, but getting God in our house. When it comes to the king and his men, I want to ask you the question, whose side are you on? It really is a Christian's role in politics. 
Now, before you answer that question, before you start typing things um, uh, in the chat part of, of our sermon today, before you start putting anything down there, I want you to listen to a story. Let me go to a story about Jesus and the battle he had with choosing sides. Uh, one day, Jesus drops a bomb on the disciples. He has a large crowd, and that evening, he says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. That was the, that was the bombshell that he dropped. Listen to these words in Mark 4.35. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, this is the crowd, let us go over to the other side. And verse 36 says, while he was leaving the crowd, the crowd, listen to me close, was not going with them. And here's the question. Why wouldn't the crowd go to the other side with Jesus? Jesus wasn't just talking about geography. The other side of the lake was a place called Decapolis, and this was largely enemy territory. Its inhabitants in, in the Jewish mind were, were pagan people, and the Jews did not like the people on the other side. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? See, the other side was a name, was the name Decapolis, where there were 10 cities. That's what the name means. When, when Joshua took the promised land from the Canaanites, there were seven Canaanite uh, nations at that time, originally had seven cities, but now it made up of 10 cities. It was filled, according to historians, with pagan temples, violence, greed, sexual expression, and oppression in all kinds of degrees. The Jews regarded the other side as the place, listen, where Satan lived. Boy, this sounds a lot like politics today. No one would go to the other side, especially even the religious leaders. Decapolis was also the center of Roman power in Jesus' time. It housed a legion of 6,000 Roman soldiers were on the other side. But what did it mean? Listen carefully. What did it mean when Jesus said, let's go over to the other side? The disciples were thinking, doesn't he know that the kingdom is on our side, that God is on our side of the lake, on our side of the aisle. He has always been the Jesus on our side. He's never been the Jesus on the other side. It's almost as if Jesus thought every side belonged to him or that he belonged to every side. Let me say that again. It was When Jesus said, let's go to the other side, it was almost as if he was saying every side belongs to him or he belongs in every side. See, when they landed... On the other side, their reception committee was a demoniac with a legion of demons. That's probably the disciples are going like, see, that's why we don't go to the other side. Who lived in a cemetery. Jesus not only healed them, but cast out a legion of demons. And the response of the city to the miracle was pretty amazing. They didn't start bringing their sick to Jesus, their children crippled, or even friends. In fact, they begged Jesus to go away. Listen to these words in Mark 5, 14. Everyone wanted to see what happened. This is the healing of the man from the cemetery. They came up to Jesus and saw the madman sitting wearing decent clothes and making and making sense. No longer a walking madhouse of a man. Listen to these words. Those who had seen it told the others what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. At first they were in awe and then they were upset, upset over the drowned pigs. And they demanded that Jesus leave and not come back. Why? What, why would this be their response? Jesus on that side, the Decapolis side, was from the wrong side to them. Now you have people on the disciples' wrong side saying, we don't want you on our side either. And he might use his power, they're thinking, to hurt them. So they wanted Jesus gone to get back over to the other side. And Jesus even agreed to go. 
The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus, who up to now would always tell people, follow me, but not on this time. In fact, he said to the man, go tell your story. Don't follow me. Stay here and tell your story. And what he did was really tell his story because here's the rest of that passage because it seemed that the ex-demoniac, the cemetery resident, did his job, became obedient to Jesus. In fact, Jesus returned to Decapolis a short time later. He goes back to the, to the Jewish side, then comes back to Decapolis. He's going back and forth across the aisle. And this is what it says in Mark 6.53. They beached the boat at Gennesaret and tied up at the landing. And as soon as they got out of the boat, word got around fast. Verse 55 says, people ran this way and that, bringing their sick on stretchers to where they heard he was. And wherever he went, village or town or country crossroads, they brought their sick to the marketplace and begged him to let them touch the edge of his coat. That's all. And whoever touched them became well, it says. And then here's what's amazing. Think about this for just a moment. The great crowds came to see him. See, the first time Jesus went over to the other side, nobody wanted to see him except for a demoniac. The second time he came, it was one of the most dramatic responses in the New Testament that we can see in all of the gospels. People were more receptive to Jesus here than any other city that he'd gone. Entire crowds coming to him at that moment. This is what blows me away. Let me give you a side note for just a second because Jesus, this is interesting. Jesus fed the hungry on both sides of the lake, on the Jewish side, on the Decapolis side. In Mark 6, he feeds 5,000 people on the disciple side. In Mark 8, he feeds 4,000 people on the Decapolis side. But something stood out to me on both of these miracles were the leftovers. Because both miracles only started with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Mark 6, it was five and two, five loaves, two fishes. Mark 8 was seven loaves and a few fish, it says. In Mark 6, after the miracle, the Bible says 12 baskets of food were left over. Think of it. 12 baskets, almost, almost, allow me just to, just to kind of um, be a little bit uh, um, in, insightful for a moment here. It seems that maybe those were there for the 12 tribes of Israel to say God cares for his people. Listen to Mark 6.42. They all ate and were satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces and also the fish. And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. What's interesting is in Mark 8, Jesus fed a crowd, you ready for this? On the other side, and this is what's interesting to me, seven baskets of food were left over. Think about it. Here's what it says, Mark 8, 8. And they ate and were satisfied. They picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over, the broken pieces, and 4,000 were there. Now, whatever Jesus does, it is not haphazard and it is not without, without the, the mind of God being part of it. I believe when you read that, it's almost as if Jesus was saying, good news is coming for the 12 tribes and good news is coming for the seven nations of Canaan. 12 tribes, seven nations. It really doesn't matter. I think Jesus was saying, I'm coming because I love both sides of this, both sides of the lake. And it's good news for both sides. Or someone once said, listen to me close. Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus has come to take over. That's what he was coming to do. So you keep thinking about this. Whose side are you on? Whose side am I on? See, we we as people, human beings, are side takers. We tend to divide the human race into us versus them. This happens for in religious reasons, but it can also happen with ethnicity, culture, and especially today in politics. 
Jesus seems to have regarded himself as the man for both sides, but his followers often collapse back into us versus them, that side versus this side. Listen, listen carefully. Jesus treats people on the other side as if they are people on our side. That's what blew the disciples away. You know, during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln met with a group of ministers for a prayer breakfast. Lincoln was not a churchgoer, but he was a man of deep faith and at times even unorthodox faith. But at one point, I want you to listen to these words. The ministers asked him, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. And Lincoln's response was this, no, gentlemen, let's pray that we are on God's side. That is powerful. See, what is God's side when it comes to politics? Some of you I know are leaning in right now going, what is he gonna say? They call the line between Republicans and Democrats those across the aisle. For the disciples in Jesus' time was those across the lake. Right now in America, we are divided and divisive. We are demanding for tax returns and Ukrainian transparency on business dealings. In fact, I was even told recently that if, if, that if I am a Democrat, I'm not even a Christian. Those were the words, and I quote them. Everyone is blowing their trumpet for or against the president or the former vice president. But Ian Thomas said it best. Make sure it is God's trumpet you're blowing. If it's just yours, it won't wake up the dead. It'll just disturb the neighbors. That's a powerful word that we need to remember. What is the best way for Christians, for you and me to be involved in politics. Dallas Willard, Christian author, said it like this, the world can no longer be left to mere diplomats, politicians, and business leaders. They have done the best that they could, but it's now time, listen, for spiritual heroes. A time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and in spiritual character and power of the Holy Spirit. The greatest danger to the Christian church today is that of pitching its message too low. Folks, let me challenge you today. Listen, we need spiritual heroes today. I, I wanna help you today from a, from a 30,000 foot view, from the biblical standpoint on how to get involved in politics. Yep, how to get involved with politics. With our nation so divided, each side seeing who you are aligned with, which church is gonna promote this candidate. This is such a sad time in our country and what we're facing. When it comes to Republican or Democrat, Let's be careful about labeling ourselves. I am of the school of C.S. Lewis who said this in The Weight of Glory. Listen to these important words that he said on politics. He who surrenders himself without reservation to the temporal claims of a nation or a party is rendering to Caesar that which of all things most emphatically belongs to God himself. My heart doesn't belong to a political party. My heart belongs to God. Let's not give to Caesar what belongs actually to God. Our heart, our emotions, our energies first belongs to God. Be very careful for giving to a candidate to stay in office, to get one vote in office and give God less. So what part do we play in, in politics? What part do Christians play in politics? There is a part, biblically, that we play according to the Apostle Paul. I, I wanna ask for just a moment a big question. And one you may not even want to hear. Here's the question that we have to answer. Do you want to please God? Some people would go, well, Pastor Tim, of course. 
Christian speaker Francis Chan said it like this. Listen to these powerful words. Whenever I read the Bible and come across something I disagree with, I have to assume I'm wrong. Listen to those words again. When I read the Bible and come across something I disagree with, I have to assume I'm wrong. This is always right. So let's let's ask the question again. Do you want to please God? Let's read what Paul says about a Christian his involvement in politics. First Timothy chapter two, here's what he says. Most of all, I'm writing to encourage you to pray with gratitude to God. Pray for all men with all forms and prayers and requests as you intercede with intense passion. Verse two, and pray for every political leader and representative so that you would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the awe-inspiring God with pure hearts. It is pleasing. Do you want to please God? It is pleasing to our Savior God to pray for them. He longs for everyone to embrace his life and return to the full knowledge of truth. Wow. Think of this. Our primary involvement with politics from New York City right here in Times Square to Washington, D.C., listen, is first on our knees. That's exactly, do you want to please God? Our first primary involvement with politics from this city, from New York City, whether it's de Blasio and Cuomo, all the way to Trump or Biden, a Republican Congress or a Democratic Congress, our first priority is on our knees. I'm so grateful we have Christians in government. I'm so grateful we have chaplains in DC. I'm so thankful we have men who are fighting for godly principles on on Capitol Hill. But I want you to understand something, the best way we unify the church is not around a candidate, but around the king. That is Jesus. That's how we unify the church. The way we unify the church politically is getting the church to pray. And notice Paul was saying, pray for those already in office, not for those to beat somebody in office. I know I'm near a firestorm here, but just hold on. Because whether whether you're dealing with a Trump or Clinton four years ago or a Trump or Biden now, the Christian's responsibility is to pray for our leaders in the White House, on Capitol Hill, in, in Albany, New York, or right here in New York City. We are called, no matter what side they are on, we center around the king. See, here's what he was saying. Paul was saying, if you pray two things for your leader's life, the result benefits your life. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2. If you pray for for your leaders, he says two things I want you to pray, Paul tells them. He says, you get benefited. In fact, he says, so that we would be able to live. See, we're first praying that they rule well, and and, and, and if they don't, then we pray more, and we are praying. And he says, I want you to pray that they rule well, and I want you to pray for their salvation. That's what Paul says. I want you to pray that they come to a knowledge of faith, but I also want you to pray that they rule well. See, I want to make a statement here that I think is so important. Listen, I believe our government may be in the condition it is in because of the condition of prayer in the church. I believe our government may be in the condition it's in because of the condition of prayer in the church. You know, we've been encouraging you to even start connect groups, and you can... 
start those connect groups of even during this time that the doors of the church that we're not meeting in live services right now, but we're finding ways both online or some are doing in person or, or a combination of both. Can you imagine a connect group that if some of you are even out there that maybe had the burden to go, let's get a connect group that we pray for our national leaders. Do you know what that does? You're being, you're doing this according to what Paul says in first Timothy chapter two. Can you imagine for a church to say, let's have prayer groups in all of our churches around the country that we're praying for our national leaders? How, how can we, how can we not be more biblical than that? That, that may be the reason why we're in trouble. Not Republican, not because of Trump, not because of Democrats, not because of Biden, but really because of a non-praying church. Or let me say this, folks, this is, this is, this is going to be important for some of us to hear. A prayerless church, I believe, messes up our government more than a government messes up the government. Listen, listen, a prayerless church, I believe messes up the government more than the government messes up the government. Don't dismiss this. Why is this country everything but quiet when it comes to the political landscape? Listen, this prayer has not been answered because this prayer has not even been offered. I don't know of a connect group that says, we have a connect group to pray for the national leaders, regardless of who's in office. The part we play in politics is praying for our leaders, not the leaders we wish were there. And like Jesus, I am committed to both sides of the lake. What does that look like, Pastor Tim? I I, want to walk you through three things that I believe the Bible begins to challenge us with. And I think this is going to be important for us. Here's the first one. You ready for this? This is going to really get some of you upset. Pray, don't post. Pray, don't post. Identify as an intercessor and not necessarily with a political party. I'm not saying don't vote. You have a responsibility to vote. But once the election is over, you're done posting and ranting. And as a Christian, your job is praying. You are not joining a circus, but you're joining a band of people called intercessors. That word intercessor means to pray for someone and prayer is powerful. One, one great um, Australian preacher named Jason Lobaxer said it like this, men, re- men may reject our appeals, refuse our message, oppose our arguments, even despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Man, I love that. You know, if you prayed years back for Obama and not Trump, you're on the wrong side. And if you prayed for Trump, President Trump, and not President Obama, you're on the wrong side. We are to pray for those in office right now, presently, and it doesn't matter who's in office or who will be elected. Let's get involved in politics biblically. If we want to get involved in politics, let's get on our knees and pray for our leaders according to this. I have to pray for Mike, for Mike, for Vice President Pence and President Trump. I have to pray for Nancy Pelosi and AOC and Chuck Schumer and Vice President Biden. I have to pray for them. Why, Pastor Tim? Because the Bible says this. That's why I want to encourage you. Here, here's a challenge for you. This Tuesday, join with Times Square Church Worldwide Prayer Meeting. Our general overseer, Pastor Carter Conlin, at 7 p.m., I want you to start getting those prayer requests in, but I want you to join with them as we pray for our country, as we begin to pray, even on election night, and believing for God for our country. You know, here's a side note. When the children of Israel were in captivity in a foreign land in Babylon, listen to what Jeremiah said to them. Now, they are in captivity, and Jeremiah says this, work for the peace and prosperity of Babylon. 
What? Are you serious? This is Jeremiah. Pray for her, for if Babylon has peace, so will you. That's what he, that's the challenge. We, so it doesn't matter who gets elected. We, we pray for them. We pray for our country. And God says, as he says in Jeremiah 29, and as Paul says in first Peter chapter, first Timothy chapter two, he says, as you pray for them, your life gets changed. Pray for Babylon, he says, and you get the peace that they get. See, when someone asks me, what if Trump wins or what if Biden wins? My response is this. I'm praying for all my political leaders. Once they get in office, my new job is to pray for them. Think about this. Do you pray for your president or for our president and our leaders as much as you complain about them? Wow. Do you pray for your president, your leaders, as much as we complain about them? Man, what a challenge for all of us, challenge for me. My job is to pray, not to post. That's what my job is. Can I give you a second thing? Boy, this is gonna get heavier and heavier. There is no adjective before the noun. Let me say that again. There is no adjective before the noun. Here it is. The noun is Christian and you cannot put an adjective before that word because the noun is powerful enough without your or my descriptive adjective. I am a Christian, period. There is no such thing, listen, as a white Christian or Hispanic Christian. There's no such thing as a black Christian or a Republican Christian, a Democratic Christian or a gay Christian. A Christian follows the teaching of the resurrected Jesus, not a party, not a lifestyle, not a denomination, but what the word of God says. When you put an adjective in front of the noun, then your, then your adjective gets the attention. That's what you're doing. When you put an adjective before Christian, your adjective gets the attention and people miss what the word Christian is. Our lifestyle is not what defines our faith and the kind of Christian that we are. Our faith in Jesus defines our lifestyle. That's, that's how, what we have to remember. Not gender, not political party, not ethnicity. And since we remove adjectives before the word Christians, that means we pray regardless of the election and its outcome because I am a Christian, period. Nothing goes before that word. I am a Christian because I follow the resurrected Jesus and what his word has to say. My job is to pray, not post. There is no adjective before the noun. And let me close with this. Don't confuse which hill has the power. Don't confuse which hill has the power. We pray for our leaders. You ready for this? We go all the way back to Dr. Tony Evans and his nursery run. We pray for our political leaders because they can't fix our society. They are just, they, they, need, they need prayer just as much as we do. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was right when he spoke about the limitations of government, when he said morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. Judicial decrees may not change the heart, but they can restrain the heartless. The law cannot make an employer love me, but it can keep him from refusing to hire me because of the color of my skin. That is, that is all a politician can do. They can change a law, but they can't change a life. They can change a policy, but they can't change a heart. They call Capitol Hill the hill, where all the laws, where all the decisions are made. But don't confuse, listen, 
Friends, don't confuse where the power is. Don't confuse which hill has the power. There was another hill that changed the planet 2,000 years ago. On that hill, there were three branches of government. There were three branches. The hill I'm talking about has these three branches, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And on that day, the Son went to the hill, Calvary, Golgotha, which changed the planet, changed hearts, and changed lives. That hill is what can change your life. That hill gets you to a place that you never can get to on your own called heaven because the Son of God was the one that died for us. Do you know that during Lincoln's presidency, you could go to the White House as a citizen, stand in line and actually get an appointment to see the president? <laughs> at the, at, that would never happen today, obviously. At the end of the Civil War, a dejected, I was reading the story of a dejected Confederate soldier was sitting outside the grounds of the White House trying to get in to see the president and he couldn't get in. And while this Confederate soldier was sitting out there on a bench outside of the White House, a young boy approached him and asked him why he was so sad. The soldier told him how he repeatedly tried to see President Lincoln, wanted to tell the president that his farm in the South was unfairly taken away by federal soldiers after the Civil War. But each time he tried to enter the White House, the guards crossed their bayonets at the entrance and the soldiers would not allow him and to come in and turned him away. The boy motioned to the dejected soldier to follow him. And the soldier had no idea. This dejected soldier had no idea what was happening. That little boy began to approach the entrance that this man has been refused time and time again. And as this little boy came in, those soldiers stood at attention. The bayonets came up and opened the door for that boy to walk in with this man's hand where he proceeded to the library where the president was resting and introduced that soldier, ready for this, to his father. The little boy was Tad Lincoln. He was the son of the president. The soldier, you ready for this, gained access to the president through the president's son. That's how he got there. I know someone who can get you in to see the king today. The king has a son and you can't get to heaven without the son. That's the hill you wanna give your heart and soul for everything you have. And the son, Jesus, is not asking if you're a Democrat or a Republican, but he's asking you the most important question. Are you born again? That's the son's questions today. That's what removes the, the bayonets that we can walk in to God's heaven today is you have to answer the most important question is how we, are we born again? Or ask it another way, how do you get to heaven? How do you get entrance to see God the Father in his throne in heaven? Some say, well, I was water baptized and some would say I've taken communion or I go to church or I'm a good person. And all of these are good, but that's not what Jesus said. I want you to listen carefully. If there's anyone that knows the directions to get into his father's house, it's Jesus himself, because that's where he's from. He was sent from heaven to earth. We've never been there, so don't you think Jesus knows the directions back to his own home? And he uses the word in John 3, you must be born again. You must be born again. 
The son is wanting to take you to see the father. In fact, Jesus says in John 3, 3, these are Jesus's words. No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. In fact, 3, 5 says you must, which challenges us not to make optional what Jesus says is a necessity. So here's the big question. Have you, let's personalize it. Have you been born again? Well, Pastor Tim, I'm not really sure I understand what that means. I, I want to do my best to break it down in these next few moments because it's as simple as ABC, those three letters. ABC, A, it's admitting, and each of those letters stand for a word, admitting that I'm a sinner. It's when I get honest with God that all of us have a condition called sin. It cannot be fixed with a promise, a program, a priest, a pastor. We, we, we need help to fix it. I'm broken inside. We're all broken inside. The diagnosis is sin and I have to admit that I'm a sinner. Or as one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We need more than a second chance, but according to John 3, 3, we need a second birth. Well, pastor Tim, how does that happen? That's where the B word comes in, believe. Believing that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition. Why? Because I couldn't fix myself. If we could fix ourselves, then God putting his son through the suffering that he did was the ultimate case of child abuse. If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have had to come and die on the cross. It all depends upon me, but I can't be good enough. I have a, I have a condition called sin. And Jesus' death on the cross was him paying the penalty that God put on sin, which was death. And he said, I will die in their place because he died the death that I was supposed to die live the life that I couldn't live to give me a reward, heaven and forgiveness that I didn't deserve. And finally, not just admit and believe, but see, confess. This is, this is big. This is not just, it's confessing Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 talks about that. But do you think that God sent his son to die on the cross to get us to sit and listen to a sermon on a Sunday or to sit in a, when the doors open up to sit in a church? His goal wasn't to get you to church. His goal was to get you to heaven, to his home, to his house, to take you through all the guards, everything that kept you from heaven. The goal was the son to take you by hand and to walk you through, just like Tad Lincoln walked that soldier through. That, that, that today, being born again, coming to church is a religion. Being born again is a relationship. It's the day, today could be the day that that the Son of God takes you by hand and say, we're gonna walk this walk together. We're gonna do this together. And just as you had a first birth, many of you in a hospital, Jesus wants you to have a second birth, which is something that is done inside. And it's that day, that's where God takes you by the hand. It's not you taking a hold of a church, a denomination, a religious title. It's when you take hold of God today. And today could be your second birthday. Today could be your spiritual birthday. Pastor Tim, what's my next step? Wherever you're at, whether you're in a kitchen, a living room, whether you're listening in a, in a, in a fitness center or in your car, you may be outside or inside. It doesn't matter. You may be saying, but I'm not in a church. It doesn't matter. God doesn't live in the four walls of a church. God is everywhere and God wants to touch you right where you're at today. I want, you to, I want you to do something wherever you're at. I want you to pray a prayer with me. If you're willing to take that next step and say, Pastor Tim, I, I, want, I want to take hold of God's hand. I want to be born again. I can't get in to heaven on my own. 
I need the son of God. Today could be that day for you. If you're, wherever you're at, maybe it's a whole family gonna pray this together. I don't care whether you're Democrat or Republican, whose side is God on? God's on both sides. It doesn't matter. I pray regardless, regardless of, of who I vote for, but that, that will not get me to heaven because the son is not asking if you're Democrat or Republican. He's not asking if you voted for Biden or Trump. Right now, God is going, take my hand, be born again. And if you wanna do that, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. Come on, say it with me. You could say it. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You have been born again. If that came from your heart, you've been born again. I, I want you just to do one more thing. Before, before we give you what next steps can be for you, I want to give you your first step. And your first step today is this. Wherever you're at, off your computer, on your phone, I want you to text the word decided. D-E-C-I-D-E-D, decided. Because that's what you did. You decided to take hold of Jesus and said, you've decided to be born again. I want you to text decided to 88202. You'll see it on the screen. To 88202 to say, I've decided to take that step to be born again, to take Jesus's hand that I can go to his father's house. That's the decision you made today. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. If you've decided to be born again today, would you text the word decided to 88202? And we'll send you a video that gives you a great next step in your walk with God. We're so excited for you and are celebrating with you. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.